You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting year for all of us. And it's a year where we are doing our best to find a balance and to draw a line between being encouraging in the pulpit and letting you know that not everybody in the world is horrible. There are still good people. There are still good things going on. God's gospel is still spreading. The entire world is not a dumpster fire. On the other hand of that, there are many things going wrong. There are many things that if we continue down the slide that we are going, we're going to need to be prepared. Now, I want to be encouraging. I always want to be encouraging. But at the same time, have you ever been blindsided by something? Maybe at work, blindsided by a deadline or blindsided by something at school. And maybe you look at your teacher or you look at your manager and your boss and you say, where did this come from? And he looks back at you and says, oh, you didn't know? So I don't want that to happen. There are good things happening in this world because God can use even the evil of men to bring about good. And we must never take our eyes off of that. Focus on the good. Focus on what is right. But be aware. Be aware that Satan is at work. And that as God has a will for you and as God has a will for the church, so does Satan. Satan has a will for you. He desires to sift you as wheat. He desires something for this church. I guess I should get my message out here. We read in 1 Timothy how in the latter days the, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Now wait, that is something we don't have a lot of in this world. No, not a lot of lies, not a lot of hypocrisy, so we'll skip past that one. Not a lot of sarcasm either, right? Uh, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Have you ever burnt something so badly on your body that it doesn't hurt anymore? One time my brother and I, we would always go up to Door County, Wisconsin, and there was a, a log cabin that we were able to use there, and my brother was fascinated with fire. Um, he, he was a pyromaniac, which is basically um, what was going on. He was an arson of sorts, and he would always take this red hot poker, or this poker, and put it in the fire until it got red hot, and then he would just leave it in random places around the campfire. So one day I went to put my hand down and I heard and then I felt and then I smelled and I looked down and it was sticking to my hand. But being as manly as I am, you know, I, I don't even have a scar uh, anymore, but for a long time I couldn't feel anything right there. The Bible says over time, as people give heed to these seducing spirits, and, they, and the Lord pricks their heart and pricks their heart, but they ignore it and they ignore it and they ignore it. Pretty soon they don't feel anything. Forbidding to marry. Commanding to abstain from meats. Sounds like a certain religion which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. How about 2 Timothy 3? This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Not uncomfortable, 
not inconvenient, perilous times, dangerous times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. When men love their own selves, they don't care what they're going to do to other people. Covetous, everything is take, take, take. Boasters, everything is me, me, me. Proud, I, I, I. Blasphemers, nothing to do with God. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Truce breakers, people who would tell you one thing and then go and do something else. False accusers, incontinent, fierce. People who, who have no control over their body or their temper. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Does that sound good or bad to you? I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, you would say that, that is about as wicked as you can get. And yet, they have a form of godliness. You go up and talk to somebody who parties all day on Saturday. You talk to some athlete who lives however he wants, has tattoos all over his body, is a member of every type of gang that you could imagine out there, is messed up in drugs and alcohol, but runs the ball over the end zone. What does he do? Who are you pointing at? This was going to come up later in my message, but I'm just going to bring it up right now. What? What? do professional sports have to do? What do they have to say to get us to stop watching them? I love sports, especially hockey. You know that. Seriously, guys with knives on their feet and a stick in their hand, and at any time they want, fight. Go for it. You go to the naughty corner for five minutes. That's it? That's it? Five minutes? I used to get suspended from school from fighting for an entire day. I would get F's on all my stuff. But I can, you give me a stick and knives on my feet and I can fight anytime I want? That is a sport. <laughs> Not watching it. I love the Cubs, unfortunately. I ain't watching it. What, 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 seriously, what? They know they can say whatever they want, do whatever they want, stand for whatever they want, promote whatever they want, because people are still going to sit down and watch it. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. And verse 13, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. I'm preaching on the war of the last days. There are 10 wars right now currently raging in this world. There's a war in Afghanistan. There are civil wars in Yemen, Syria, Somalia, and Libya. There's a drug war in Mexico. That's been going on since the 70s. Uh, there's a war in Turkey between the Turks and the Kurds going on. Uh, there's a war in the Maghreb and Sahel regions of North Africa. There's a war in Iraq. Since those wars started, since, and again, since 1972, to five million souls have perished. Now, you're paying attention this morning, I can see by your face, because I said ten, but it only gave nine. Because the tenth is different 
The 10th is a war that has been raging for centuries now. The 10th is a war. There are no neutral parties in this war. It is a world war. Everybody is involved. You are involved, and I am involved. Open our eyes this morning. Look around. Watch the news. Read the headlines. Listen to the reports. See the conflict. Observe the chaos. Listen to the screams. And let me ask you, what word would you use to describe our world? Would you use the word peace? Would you use the word love? Would you use the word righteous? Holy? In a world where many people see no problem with abortion, there are people running for office. People. Joe Biden. It's all right. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are running for office, and those people believe a child can be born. Since 1973, in America alone, 60 million, over 60 million babies that are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, that God has a plan for, have been callously murdered by man. In a world where nearly half of the marriages end up in divorce, where children are being trafficked, you want to get real? When you read in Genesis, when those two angels come for Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah, and those men, even after they are blinded, weary themselves to find the door. The Bible says they smote them with blindness, both small and great. There were children in that group. It started with men and men women and women. Next is children. No, not in America. What were we saying 40 years ago about homosexuality? Immorality is rampant. People kill other people because of differences in opinion. People are going to judge and and disregard other people because of the color of their skin? Man is glorified, God is glorified. God is forsaken. Clubs are filled, pews are empty. 
Thank God not here. Stay faithful, church. Sports are followed. God is sidelined. Good is called evil. Evil is called good. What words would we use to describe that world? Does that sound like a world you want to be friends with? Friendship with the world is enmity, active opposition against God. Because everything I just described is a blatant and active opposition against God, his son, his spirit, and his Bible. And we're going to love it and the things of it. These are obvious characteristics of what the Bible calls the last days. And whether we realize it or not, we are in a war of the last days. On one side you have truth, lies, good, evil, Jesus, Satan, right, wrong, light, darkness. And this war has consumed humanity like no other conflict in history. And this war, like any other war, is made up of multiple battles, fought in multiple locations. Conflicts are waged on different battlefronts. Now there's one lesson that I want us to learn about this war. One truth I want us to take home about this war today, and I'm going to present that truth later in the message by asking a key question. When I ask the key question, we're coming up to that main truth that I want us to take home. Before we get there, in order to get to that point, that truth about this war, I want you to come with me on a tour. I invite you to tour with me the battlefronts of this war. And by the end of the message, I'll show you what each of these battlefronts have in common. And I hope we'll see the lesson that we're supposed to take with us today. Come with me, first of all, to the battlefront of ancient Jerusalem. In this war of the last days, this city was in many ways the first battlefront. The great capital of the nation of Israel, the place where David built his kingdom, Solomon built his temple, Nehemiah built his wall. This is the place where Jesus walked and spoke and did many wonderful works. This is the city where he was tried and sentenced to death. The city where he appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. The city where he told them to preach the gospel first. And what a shame it is to remember that the main enemy at this battlefront was the religious elite. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who were more worried about keeping their tradition and keeping their prestige and keeping their political power, they were more worried about those things than they were the truth. They were more willing to stand with Caesar than they were to stand with God. Jerusalem, the city that God loved, the city that Jesus wept over, the capital of religion, was a city of spiritual hypocrisy. And let that be a lesson to us. Religion won't save you. It's not about a religion. It's not about what we do. Religion is man-made. 
Is there a place for religion? Yes. Should we be a religious people? I would hope so. I would hope we would serve and love and give and do all those things, but that doesn't save us. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's what saves us. Your relationship with him, that's what saves us, that you know him and rather that he knows you. Jerusalem was the most religious. That battlefront was a religious battlefront. Come with me now to Antioch. Think of the battlefront of Antioch. He was then the capital of Syria, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was extremely wealthy, as much known for its wickedness as it was its luxury. Along the outskirts of the city, there were groves. It was a place called the Groves of Daphne. And this place was known to attract thousands of visitors because of its open and shameless sensuality. You think Las Vegas is new? You think that concept is new? This whole what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas junk? It doesn't stay there. It's written in your record. It's been going on for a long time. Antioch was described by historians as a city stained with vice and a stronghold of Satan. Come with me now to the battlefront of Philippi. This was a Roman colony filled with Roman history that led to an intense allegiance to Rome. Many times when a Roman soldier was retired, the army would place them in Philippi after their discharge. And so this added to the extreme loyalty and Roman patriotism. To the Philippian, government was God. Caesar was king. And Rome was its inspiration. Let's talk about Rome. The battlefront of Rome. Maybe you don't know where I'm going just yet. Stay with me. Right now we're going to Rome. But we're going somewhere. This city needs a little explanation. You know about Rome. It was the epitome of worldly living. Humanistic philosophy, fleshly lusts, satanic practices. Slaves were trained to be gladiators. Women were objectified. Men were selfish, violent, and perverted. Now we travel to Corinth. Situated on an island and built between two separate ports, Corinth was one of the greatest and most populated commercial cities of Greece. But with all of their commerce came great debauchery, promiscuity, homosexuality, greed, heathen religion all made their marks upon Corinth. People in those days wouldn't say that other people were living wickedly. They wouldn't say that other people were living sensually. They literally made up a word, Corinthiazane. It was a verb that meant to live like a Corinthian. While Antioch had the groves of Daphne, Corinth had the, the temples of Venus and Aphrodite. At any given time, there were said to be 1,000 women in each of those temples, and their purpose was clear. To put it simply, in a world known for immorality, Corinth was known for its immorality. Would you travel with me now to Colossae? A once very grand city, a very wealthy city, 
But next to it was growing a city called Laodicea, and it was taking away from its import and export. It was taking away from its trade. Because of Laodicea, Colossae was diminishing in its commerce. It was diminishing in its trade. People were leaving Colossae in vast numbers. It was a dying city. How about Thessalonica, the capital city of Macedonia? Well known for its commerce, it was a free state. There were no Roman garrisons there. They were even able to mint their own coins. While it didn't have much in common with the sins of Corinth or with the violence of Rome, it had much in common with the religious zeal of Jerusalem. Again, a religious battlefront. How about Ephesus? During Bible times, it was the fourth largest city in the world. What it was like to live in Ephesus can be, tell, can be told just by the ruins that we have found of Ephesus. Alongside libraries and gymnasiums and stadiums and a grand theater. There's a grand theater in Ephesus. There are ruins of brothels and bars and temples built to the heathen fertility goddess of Diana. We could spend more time to describe the battlefronts of Galatia or Philadelphia or Thyatira or Sardis or Smyrna, Pamphylia, but we don't have time. When Paul wrote to Timothy, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. I guarantee you something. Timothy didn't go, I wonder when that's going to happen. It was happening all around him. When Paul wrote that, Timothy wasn't saying, I wonder who he's talking about. Timothy could have his pick of the cities that were adding to the peril of the times. Each empire, each province, each city brought its own level of sin and wickedness and violence and persecution and darkness to the world. That was almost 2,000 years ago. So with all that being said, it's time to ask that key question that I mentioned at the beginning. When we hear of those ancient cities, and we hear of the sin and the wickedness and the evil, the darkness that the people of those cities participated in, when we also think of man's nature to degenerate over time, here's the question. What, pray tell me, has prevented the sin of the world to completely engulf humanity. What stemmed the flood of the wickedness that was being poured out from those cities? There was a church there. Not a social gathering. Not a sports franchise. Not a political not a religious organization, not a committee, not a theater, not a charity or a foundation. There was a church in those cities. There was an assembly of believers called out from the world to live separate from the world so that they could reach the world. There was a church there. 
as the population of Rome and Corinth and Antioch and Ephesus could look around them and all they saw was wickedness and sin, and suddenly they see people living differently. They're not cursing and swearing and drinking and reveling in sin. They're, they're singing and they're preaching and they're living, they're living in righteousness where everyone's complaining about the state of their city. It's going down. It's not what it used to be. We're going to have to move and we're going to have to pick up and blah, blah, blah. Suddenly there's people that are thankful for where they are. I've been to many incredible places in the world. Buenos Aires, Argentina, Chicago, Illinois. It's It's a beautiful city. It's an incredible area. New Mexico has its own beauty. California. People come to Corpus and, whoa, whoa. armpit of the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is where God has you. What good can come out of Nazareth? Jesus was there. So the next time you hear someone complaining, well, Corpus this, Corpus that, Corpus, whoa, 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 whoa. I hope Jesus is here. I don't, I don't want to live in Jerusalem where Jesus was. I want to be where he is. Then in Jerusalem and Thessalonica where people are oppressed and bound by the harshness of the law and Jewish religion, suddenly there's a group of people talking about grace and liberty in Jesus Christ. In Philippi, where the allegiance to Rome was, was so fervent and the fellowship to Caesar was so fervent, suddenly there's a group talking about another king. A king named Jesus who died for their sin. These weren't small groups. They weren't a praise and worship team. They weren't charities. They were a church. They were churches. In this war of the last days, the only thing that has stemmed the flood of wickedness in this world was a church. What hope would those cities have in the war of the last days without the church? Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. God's answer to the attack of sin and wickedness in those cities, build a church. Start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then go to Samaria, then go to the uttermost parts of the world. Build a church. That was his answer in those cities. Here's my question. What's going to happen in Chicago? What's going to happen in Santa Clara, California? What's going to happen in Lima, Peru? Lima's in Peru, right? What's going to happen in Buenos Aires, Argentina? What's going to happen in Paris? What's going to happen in Washington, D.C.? What's going to happen in Salem, in Missouri City, Missouri City? What's going to happen in Madison? What's going to happen in Canberra? What's going to happen in Moscow? What's going to happen in Corpus Christi? There'd better be a church there. 
there had better be an assembly of believers who have been called out from the world to live differently than the world so that they can reach the world. Or this war's over. Now, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. You know what you're saying. Pastor, read the end of the book. We win the war. Praise the Lord for it. Yes, we do. We win the war. Jesus is going to come down on that white horse with his vesture dipped in blood, and he is going to speak a word, and the war is over. But I don't know about you. I want to win the battle of Corpus Christi. There better be a church there. Why would the world choose to believe the gospel if the church looks no different than the world? If the ones who say they're fighting against sin and the devil look the same as the people who are fighting for sin and the devil, how are they supposed to make a choice? That's what our, our military men are running into overseas. That there's no uniforms. You know why? You know why? They're cowards. Put on the whole armor of God. Wear the uniform. So that people know what side you're on. Because if they don't know what, who's who. How am I supposed to make a choice? When they hear there is a choice, this world, this life is a choice of two eternities. And they say, okay, wait a second. I go to this church and it looks like a rock concert. And the people go and they live how they, they, live how they want throughout the week. And I'm talking to Heritage Baptist Church. You live how you want throughout the week and then you come on Sunday having a form of godliness, but denying the power. How are they supposed to make a choice? Why make a choice? Why make a choice? God planted and built the church to stand for right in a world of wrong, to be a light in a city of darkness, to live holy when all others are living wickedly. And that's why he wrote to the churches. That's why he wrote to them. He wasn't writing to the, to the governor of, the, of Galatia. God didn't say, I want to talk to the mayor of Philippi. He said, I want to talk to Caesar to the churches at Galatia, to the church at Philippi, to the saints at Thessalonica. And what is he writing to them? There's some things you need to get right. There's some things you need to change because this is a war. This is a battle. And you need to be all in. Philippi, don't be discouraged. It's difficult to go up to an ex-Roman soldier and say, Caesar isn't king. Jesus is. And he goes, hang on, let me grab my spear. Go and start a church in Russia. Go and start a political party in Russia saying, we're going to overthrow Vladimir Putin. Good luck. 
That's what the church of Philippi is up against. So what does Paul write to the Philippians? Keep it up. Don't be discouraged. How about Colossae? New Christians just starting out and all around them their city is dying. What does he say? Maybe your city isn't growing. You grow. Don't worry about your city dying. You grow. Or Thessalonians. Again, new Christians surrounded by religious elite. And what does he tell them? Just keep growing in grace. Don't let them talk to you about works. Grow in grace. How about the church of, Eph of Ephesus? You've left your first love. Return to the first works. How about the church of Pergamos? Stop mingling with the heathen. Said you're doing exactly what Balaam did to, the, to your ancestors and to your forefathers. Stop mingling with the heathen. How about Laodicea? Are you in or are you out? Are you in or out? I've, be cold or be hot. But you're right in the middle. You going to win the battle of Laodicea that way? Are we going to win the battle of Corpus Christi? Nah. Or do we need to be all in? Christianity isn't a coasting religion. It's a thriving relationship. We need to grow. We need to get better. We need to do more. And yes, we're going to win the war, but I want to win the battle. And we won't unless we are the church that God has called us to be. No, we'll never be perfect, but we had better be committed to obeying God's word. We are not going to do things our own way here. We are going to do that in God's way. We will not be interested in pleasing man. We will please God. Through his grace, we will please him. We're not going to be interested in growing a crowd. We're going to be interested in growing in grace. And may God give the increase. I'm not going to be interested in reaching a financial goal. Let's be interested in reaching people. I am not going to get up here and preach my opinion. By God's grace, I'll preach God's word. We are not to be dead in traditions and boring. We should be alive. We should be alive. There should be a spirit here. There should be a buzz. No wonder a lot of people walk into a church and they walk right out. It's like a funeral going on. Who's dead? God isn't. We'd better not be stepping back, but going forward with the gospel because it is the church that has stood against the world in this war. Don't belittle it. Don't neglect it. Don't change it. Join it. Serve in it. Don't just come and sit. Christians want to do something. Want to do something. We have a lot of basset hound Christians. We need some Jack Russell Terriers. Walk around like Eeyore all day. Give me some more Tiggers. Kids aren't in here to under understand. You can tell them I'm a parent. Do something. Do something. I would rather have a church member that I have to, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, then slip a little Red Bull in your, in your communion juice. <laughs> Why is this one lime green? Give that one to Brother James, please, you know? 
Oh, man, let's do something. And praise the Lord, we have an active church. There's things going on. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. We're in the last days. Things are only going to get worse. And yes, Satan is going to grow more desperate. Yes, things are going to get worse. But that doesn't mean we back up. That means we do what the church has always been called to do. We fight. We fight. We push forward. If you can't push forward, then you stand. If we can't stand, then we kneel. If we can't kneel, be faithful unto death. Are you in? It's a, whoa, whoa, wait. It's a battle. It's a battle. This isn't a game. It's a battle. It's going to cost you some things. It's going to cost you your priorities, your schedule, your friends, sometimes even your family. But any soldier that signs on that dotted line knows when the time comes, I'm there. And I'm all in, and I'm willing to lay down my life for my country, and we won't live our life for our Savior. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.